0: Well, folks, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. It is another huge week for Nebraska athletics, and I know I keep saying it, but it is still true. It is a bye week for Husker football, but it is not a news desert this week in Nebraska. Scott Frost will be retained for the 2022 season. Trev Alberts announced on Monday. That announcement also came a couple hours later with four major changes to the coaching staff. Landon and I will discuss what that looks like for this team in the coming weeks and what it looks like for the 2022 campaign. Husker men's basketball suffered a surprising loss to Western Illinois in the season opener on Tuesday. What does it mean for the Huskers? How can they fix their offensive rebounding woes as they head into a matchup on Friday night with San Houston State? And we'll wrap the program uncharacteristically with 1-2-NU. And a debate. Is Yaka Dunka the next Ding bong! You'll find out coming up on Scarlet Fever. All right, folks, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen here alongside Landon Wirt. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter for Landon, at Landon Wirt, L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. For me, it's at Hansen15 underscore Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, 15 underscore Hanson, don't forget this is a daily Nebraskan podcast. So give at daily neb and at dn sports a follow for all of your campus news from those who live it every day. And well, what a Monday it was in Nebraska sports. And you know, there was some thought, Landon. There was some thought. We are actually, we are just gonna freaking, we're just gonna blow by the best thing this week. Yeah. Because we got we got a lot. We have we have a
1: lot on the old plate. The funny, funny, funny Twitter joke too. Uh, not, not a good place to to see my Twitter at the moment. But yes, I, we weren't going to talk about it, and that's all we'll say about it. But yeah. Landon has been ratioed. Yeah, yeah. Oof. worst thing. That Tough happened time this week. We're, yeah, there you go. That There's and my management thing. test I tried to study for on Monday while the entire oh. um, the universe surrounding like Nebraska collapsing. football yeah. just collapsed. So, yeah. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, I, uh, we are
0: getting right into the right into it. I have to do an accounting test later this afternoon. I am not. I am not looking forward to. Yeah, that, that's that's also so. There's our negatives. Uh, best thing, I guess, Thanksgiving is close. Turkey yeah. and smoked meats. They're about like
1: two weeks away, so
0: I'm 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 excited for that.
1: I'm a, I'm a ham guy. I, I like ham. Oh. I like my ham. Well, it, you know, I, I don't it, hate ham. It comes down to the way that my family's prepared turkey. It's always just been too dry. So we,
0: we me, yeah. So we so. do uh, we do a uh, air. It's not air fry, but we okay. Oh, so that fry sounds good. It, I would eat that.
1: It's not that I don't yeah. like turkey. I just think that like the way it's prepared, the ham's a little bit better. But the ham's kind of getting stale after I've been eating it for so many Thanksgivings. Right. So I need a better made. And turkey. you get it at
0: Christmas too. That, that's my thing with ham. You get it at Christmas. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and and the other thing is like ham. There's just like, it seems like for me, there's just like so much left over with ham, yeah. and then you're just eating it for months afterwards. Right. I'm like, no. And
1: you're not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong.
0: Turkey, everybody loves, and it's just gone. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I mean, but anyway, so cranberry sauce, oh, yeah. turkey, Hawkeyes,
1: and college close. Ba- and college basketball is back. Quick positive. That's also a best thing. More into college basketball later. Fun fact, 3% of the entire Division One college basketball schedule for the 2021-22 season was played on Tuesday night. Did you say 3%? 3% of the entire college basketball. Ken Pomeroy tweeted that out. There uh, were there, three, some, there were there like some buy bombs. There were like 100 plus games. Uh. And it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of good game. The Akron-Ohio
0: State game was fascinating. Yeah. I know I'm going to be handling the uh, Big Ten rankings for men's hoops coming up uh, down the line, I think, after this week. Um, but there was a lot of interesting Big Ten shufflings going on. Michigan had some trouble with Buffalo yesterday. Um, Buffalo's going to be good, I think, in the MAC, But um, yeah. it was a little bit closer than maybe Michigan fans would want. But also, first game of the year. Yeah. First game of the year. And yeah. plenty of people <coughs> <coughs> had trouble with the first game of the year. So, anyway, that's later in the program. But... Monday. What a day. Uh, let me start with this. I was sitting on a shuttle from my apartment complex to campus Monday morning, and I see a tweet from what I thought was Brett McMurphy's Twitter account saying that today, per sources, Scott Frost is meeting with Trev Alberts to discuss his future in Nebraska, a decision to come soon. And so I'm sitting there like, oh boy, here we go. And then, like, literally a half a second later, I see, oh, no, it's a parody account. It's not the real Brett McMurphy. Um, Side note, that account got suspended, like, instantly. Yeah. That um, was pretty funny. Which was interesting, because I think someone was, like, comparing and saying, like, basically... And I don't know if it was... I don't know if they used the Taliban as their example. Oh, God. But it was, like, basically, the Taliban exists on Twitter still. But like you, you miss, you just spread a blatant lie about college football, and you're gone. Uh,
1: it's See, the, the so end all, be all for Twitter police. <laughs>
0: but oh, anyway, again, so it was fake, and and then you turn around, and then maybe it wasn't <laughs> because no. later that afternoon, at three o'clock, roughly, I think maybe closer to two thirty, um, Trev Alberts releases a statement saying Scott Frost will be retained. In 2022, that spiraled off uh, just a, a mess of a day. There is just so much going on. Trev Alberts then later that night spoke uh, on Sports Nightly. A couple of good quotes uh, from that. And then, of course, the big hammer is the other side of the coin, which was the firings of four offensive assistant coaches, Greg Austin, Mario Verduzco, Ryan Held, and offensive coordinator Matt Lubick. So, big day. And I mean, let me say first. I think you've had more interaction with the, those four assistant coaches than I have, but I can say without a doubt, uh, those four guys are all really, really good dudes.
1: Yeah, uh, more Lubick than the rest of them, I would say. I've I've gotten that you that li- you've interacted with. Yeah, right. I've I've listened to him speak a couple of times. More less less on the other guys, but. Yeah, uh, it's tough. I really thought that the whole Lubick thing would be a really cool story. It's a guy that was really involved with college football and then just stepped away. It's someone who was involved in college football heavily, just took some time to step away from the sport completely and do, like, finance or banking or whatever it was, and right. then stepped back into the realm with Frost. And I I thought it was going to last
0: longer than that. I this. did, too. This was the most surprising of the fires to me. It
1: was, it was, and I really was... St- I was shocked to see that part happen, and it was really just disheartening to see the experiment not work, but, I mean, to call a spade a spade, it wasn't, really. Right. Nebraska's offense, the big issue is that it was so identityless that you never knew what was going to happen on a game-to-game basis and who was going to get consistent touches on a game-to-game basis. The most damning evidence of this is when Nebraska's down six with five minutes to go against Ohio State, Marquis Step appears for the first time in right. a month. Like, where has he been, and why was he not featured earlier? You see it in guys like Samori Toure, who are featured one week and not featured the next. You see it in a guy like Oliver Martin, who, yes, caveat was hurt, but had an 100-yard receiving day in Nebraska's first game of the season and has been invisible since. There's no set identity with regards to Nebraska's football football's offense, and so the the changes are understandable. Adrian Martinez's progress has been stunted. The offensive line, while improving in a few areas, has been consistently really bad all year, particularly in pass protection. Um, and and the running backs, that room has just always been in flux and never been consistent in yeah. the personnel decisions. So, so I, I, stunk. I think it
0: comes to me. And those coaches are good dudes. It, it can com- right and Greg Austin, for example, was very much loved. Yeah. By um, by his his players, you know. Uh, I think the probably the shortest tweet by any player um damn. was teddy Prohaska, who said just damn yeah. and that and that said a lot to me that tweet said a lot
1: yeah, and Frost. I mean, we're we're not to Wednesday yet, but Scott Frost did say on Wednesday that he really saw it in the offensive line that he said the whole team was hurting, but like in particular, the offensive line was was going through it a little bit, and he said you could see it in their eyes. And that tweet kind of encaps from Teddy Prohaska just really like encapsulated yeah, it, it the offensive the line's up. vibes. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's a bummer, and that sort of midseason change is never never easy. It. You had to do it now because it's before this big time recruiting window ramps up and you don't want to be sending out essentially fired coaches to go do your bidding for you for a little bit. I mean, that's not a good look all around. Um, but man, it, it it truly is Black Monday. Uh, that's yeah, like it the, came early. The typical day after the NFL season ends uh, fired all the bad coaches, but I mean, it came. In a day, I did not expect coming.
0: Yeah, I know. I thought we would hear something. You know, after after we heard Ted Carter or Ted Carter, sorry. Uh, you know, say Friday, you'll hear something sooner than later. Yeah. You know, I thought we would see something soon. I don't know if I thought it'd be this soon. Uh, but you know, for me with these coaches, it kind of comes back to an analogy I've used before. It it comes to Tim Miles. Yeah. It's very much a Tim Miles vibe, where, you know, Tim was someone who I absolutely loved to root for, and Tim was somebody who was basically about as nice as they come, and you know, I. It was so hard to see him fight. I felt this a little bit with Mike Riley too, but less so, um, because they are they're both good people. And, um, and, and so it's the same feeling with these coaches. It's just unfortunate because they weren't able to produce. And so that's kind of where we were with that firing. And now there's a large, large hole to fill. You know, Sean Becton is the only offensive coach that remains. Scott described him on Wednesday as elite, um, in all things that he expects of an assistant coach, um, there's a lot of holes to fill. Got a number of guys, uh, Ron Brown and others, who are helping out for these last two weeks of the year. Um, but big changes on this staff, and we'll probably hear more in ter- terms of hiring uh, within the next three weeks or so.
1: Yeah, uh, you're right. And when Frost spoke Wednesday, he said, one of the interesting things that I, I took away was the fact that he's like, yeah, well, well some of these guys have, have jobs other places, which to me is Pretty big indicator that Nebraska is looking at people to fill coordinator positions who are still currently employed somewhere, so you're not bringing an, an old hat out of retirement or away from football like a right. Lubick, and there were some former Oregon coaches that were mentioned that currently don't have <laughs> like in-season jobs. So uh, I found that interesting too, but yeah, uh, they're going to be going after guys that are currently employed at other college football programs right now. That's for sure. So now, I mean, this
0: is something that had to happen, right? For Scott to be retained, there had to be some serious changes, and that's not the only one. I think the biggest one to be that came out of Trev Alberts' discussion on Sports Night Monday night was this view of Scott now as more of a CEO coach, somebody who is more on the broad side of things, less nose in the play, sh- uh, in the play sheet. More looking at things on a broader level. Uh, I think that's going to help this program a lot. You know, I, one of the things I said too is before this was announced was, hey, if if Scott is fired, or if he's retained, you know, especially if he's retained, you know, one thing isn't going to change. These mystifying personnel decisions, it, they're not going to go away. The, you know, the appearance of Marquis Step randomly late in the game. And they're mystifying to the fan base and to the members of the media, um, you know, mainly because Frost doesn't actually talk very much about why he makes some of those decisions. It's kind of just been his policy. If somebody's hurt or dealing with injury, he's not going to disclose it. I think that hurts him sometimes more than it helps. But that was a large part of why, and if he was retained, it's not going to change. But with this announcement of him less as an offensive play caller more as a CEO, I think some of those personnel changes could go away in the future, depending on who they hire at that offensive coordinator spot. And now he does get to—we finally get to see Frost as again uh, taking fully, you know, going fully away from that offensive coordinator play calling, um, you know, role. And I think that's generally—I think that's generally going to be a good thing.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you'd hope it is, and uh, he's. You know he's said it a lot. He's he's been worn thin. Uh, There are a lot of things you know with regards to the X's and O's and the play calling and all of that stress that happens during the week that has worn on him a little bit. And I agree that if this is to work, this partnership between Trev Alberts and Scott Frost, there was something that had to change. I had said that firing Frost was a option, probably not the best option long term, but an option. And now you're you're sitting here now and the immediate sort of aftermath of this and you have all these offensive changes and one of the things that I think definitely needed to be reconsidered was what kind of role Frost wanted to have and in terms of being a program ambassador and CEO type and less of a play caller I think it's going to be extremely beneficial Uh, it can't not be if you try the same things over and over and expect the same results you're not going to get different results Uh, you're going to get the or you expect different results you're not going to get them if you bring Frost back and he's in this similar type of position he currently was in, even with like a new offensive coordinator and offensive assistants and things, I mean, what's really going to change, you know? So getting this, 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 you know, CEO type. Uh, really more of a, an overseer of it all and not a master of specifics. I think that that'll probably help his mentals for sure, and will also ensure that more things are up to date and taken care of, as opposed to, I mean, for us during the year, like would just spend time working with the offensive linemen. It's like, well, why wasn't that happening? all the time during the season, he's got other stuff to do. So now, if he's in this sort of role, I think that he can do more of those things during the season without being tied down to, like, watching the offense specifically during practice and stuff.
0: One of the things I thought was really interesting is viewing how the local media viewed this move compared to the national media and, generally, more broadly, the fan base. I think, generally, the fan base sees this as a positive thing. Um, The local media, I think, in some ways, and I don't necessarily mean this so much as far as the written local media, uh, print media, but more so on the broadcast side, I think, sees this retention of Frost as a negative, and the national media, your Joel Klatz, your Colin Cowherds, your Tim Brandos, uh, see this as a positive thing. So that's very that's kind of been very interesting to me to see how different people view this, both people who are locally inside it and then people nationally. Now there were some national, you know, members. I think I saw one Oklahoma journalist um, retweet the announcement with the uh, picture of uh, the hot dog man, you know, saying we're all trying to find out who did this. Um, so there has been there has been some level of snarky outside look at this, but. I think it's interesting. Most of the national media has seen it as a positive. Most of the local media on the radio broadcast side seems to have seen it negatively.
1: I don't really know what goes into that discrepancy, to be quite honest with you, because, I mean, you know, you're never going to please anyone, especially with a decision like this. The Nebraska fan base is pretty staunchly divided at the moment between the Scott Frost should have been fired camp, and the Scott Frost is good camp, and there still isn't enough easing into that neutral, like, oh, yeah, maybe we'll give him another shot. But the national takes, I thought, were, were pretty interesting. I mean, Joel Klatt said it a lot, I guess, during the Ohio State broadcast. I didn't I didn't listen right. to it, of course, because I was there. But he had nothing but positive things to say about uh, Nebraska and Frost and that they were so close to getting this thing to click, as did Bob Stoops, um, which, you know, well, good for him on speaking on a longtime rival. Uh, the Colin Coward thing, though, in particular, was interesting to me, um, saying that this is a, a six-year project and not a four-year project. mm mm-hmm. But, yeah, I I wish I did know what went into sort of that discrepancy between how the shock jock broadcast side of things and the local media viewed the retention versus print. Um, but I can't really say. It's it's well, definitely and so, weird, and it's definitely something I noticed. I mean, I, I, I don't know, know
0: if it's as divided as you think it is. There's plenty of loud voices on Twitter uh, who are divided, on this, but like, for example, and this, there's a John Bishop poll and there's a Sam McEwen poll. I have the Sam McEwen one in front of me uh, and I could find the John Bishop one later, but I don't know if it's relevant. Um, what, I mean, it's the same thing. What's your take on the return of Scott Frost? Don't support it. I'll live with it. Support it. 65.1% of 8,765 votes said support. 24.3% is I'll live. And then only 10% say don't support the retention. So that that's interesting to me. It, it, you know, it seems it does seem like on Twitter, if you just scroll through and look at things, that it's a pretty divided fan base. But then you look at some of these polls from some of the bigger media members in the state, and it seems like a lot of the
1: fan base that at least is
0: active on Twitter supports this.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. It's, it's very hard to ignore some of the loud Twitter voices sometimes. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that a lot of the fan base appears to be in support is good. I mean, I think a lot of it. Trev Alberts has really done a good job of establishing credibility and marketing himself and being just like a likable dude already in the four months he's had this job. I think that a lot of Nebraskans are also, like, really, really behind Trev and in support of whatever decision he makes. And I think that's an important note to weigh in all of this. I think that whatever decision Alberts came to, whether it was keeping Frost around or deciding to part ways, would have been met with support because I think a lot of Nebraskans just have a lot of respect for the things that Alberts has been able to do. With that being said, you know... It's Like I said, it's hard to disagree with some of the the, the Twitter voices sometimes, but the fact that a a good majority of people, at least on Twitter, which is of course not real life, are in support of Frost, is not only a good look on him, but also a, a good look on, on Trev as well. And I've always said, too, just a quick, quick aside, it was going to be hard to walk him back from the ESPN article that came out in the days after the Michigan game in which Trev Alberts explicitly stated that he thinks Scott Frost is the guy to lead the program. He wasn't going to walk off that statement in a month and a half. But right. it really is a, it, it's a good look on, on the both of them, I think, that so many fans, at least from that poll and in support. So Scott Frost
0: is retained. Let's move to Wednesday. Scott's press conference on Wednesday spoke for about 15 minutes post-practice. Touched on a number of things. Spirited practice. Um, including heard. who he would like as the offensive of coordinator. Somebody I trust. That is the is the quote there. First piece in the puzzle. And rightfully so. Again, firing Lubick was, I think, probably one of the more surprising things to me. Um, but I think when you consider his comments, I need somebody I can trust. Not to say he wouldn't trust Lubick. Um, as a person, I don't think that's what he was saying with that. I think what he was more more saying is, I need someone who I can, you know, fully trust on this offensive coordinator front to totally hand over the duties. And Lubick was more of, you know, somebody who he split time with, yeah, uh, in terms of play calling duties. So he d- he, I mean, he didn't trust Lubick in that area, um, you know, you know this last couple of seasons. Uh, so. Who is that name? Who is the name that comes in and, and fills the role of that spot? You can, of course, Todd Herman has been thrown around. I think that one's a little bit interesting. Um, I don't know how lucky that or likely that is. Jake Peets. Yeah. Uh, LSU's offensive coordinator is an O'Neal native. He's going to be out of a job here pretty soon unless he is the new head coach at LSU. But Ed Orgeron is on his way out for the Tigers, so Peets could be coming up this way. Um, who is it going to be? Is it going to be a younger big name, uh, a a young, sparky guy in the business, or maybe a more conservative uh, pick from this group and an older,
1: um, more experienced (laughs) offensive coordinator? Yeah. Um, I'm starting a lot of my responses to you with yeah today, which is interesting. (laughs) But um, one of the things that Frost said on Wednesday that stuck out uh, with regards to who he's trying to to look at, he said – I'm surrounded by a lot of guys that know exactly what I know, which is interesting because it's true. I mean, his entire coaching staff, has a good majority of them, have either been with him at UCF or been with him at Oregon. They know the same offense. They have the same offensive ideas. They have the same schematic ideas, all of these things. So I really do think that when Nebraska is looking for someone to bring back, I don't know if it's going to be someone that is either A, super connected with Frost, or Or B, the state, or C, the offense that he runs. I could see it being maybe a Tom Herman or a Bill O'Brien, like someone just a bigger name, an established name. I mean, you've got a guy in in Bill O'Brien that's trying to work his way, kind of back up the coaching hierarchy after – being disgraced and just an awful regime at the Houston Texans, but he's a guy that knows what it takes to win in the Big Ten. Been at Penn State for a really long time, helped kind of rebuild Penn State following just a really, really ugly post-Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno situation there, Uh, which I think um, in terms of his coaching legacy, yes, the Houston Texans thing was bad, but he also did a really impressive job rebuilding Penn State because I don't know how many people would have Succeeded in his situation in Penn State. Could be a dumpster fire right now, but it isn't. Uh, he would be a very interesting guy to, to bring about, and maybe that's why, uh, as it is flight tracker season, maybe that's what the private jet from from Lincoln was, maybe. was going to, to go see. But Herman's also an interesting one, too, uh, for sure. That's a guy that was more immediately ousted from his coaching position. I'm not really sure what exactly he's doing for the Bears right now, uh, but it's something I can guarantee you that. I think that... If I were to, you know, gun to my head and make a decision, I think it's probably an older, more established person that I think will be able to share ideas and and discuss things with with Scott and and Trev. So yeah, that's that, that that's what I think, and I am bringing to the table the name Bill O'Brien. Uh, Pete's is an interesting one too. Uh, that would be one that would win a lot of Nebraska's. over just with the. the that's one name innovative. I have
0: heard, and that checks the young and sparky uh, yeah. box. So uh, that w- that would check one for me. I you know as I talked to Michael Severe this week, uh, one of the things he talked about um, was that y- you got to be worried if you're Scott about in theory, or Scott could be worried in theory about hiring his successor. So you bring in a Tom Herman, things don't go well, or the defense is just a sieve. Um, you know, in the next year, and you get fired, and then. Who does who, who the university hire, Tom Herman? That could be something that could be playing uh, in the back of people's mind. Now, I don't know if that's 100% true, especially if Eric Shenander is retained, because, you know, the thing with Eric Shenander is, I mean, there's a good shot that Eric gets some calls from other people um, in college football after the job he's done this year. So if he's not back with Nebraska next year uh, or a large part of this defensive, you know, this defensive coaching staff, I think Eric Schnander is already that person, you know, that that, that could be, in theory, um, someone who could be a successor to Frost if things don't go well. So I, I don't know if that totally sticks. Um, but it certainly would be a, a, a red flag if Tom Herman was the guy brought in because he already has been a head coach of a big pro- football program, um, you know, on on the national stage. Eric Schnander hasn't yet. That's one thing that Tom Herman would have over Shenander.
1: Yeah. Gosh, I'm doing it again. I do think that Shenander's is going to get calls. I mean, it sure would be awfully tempting because that defense is going to lose a lot of pieces this year. Yes, it's going to be. It's going to take a pretty significant step. Linebackers up. will be good. Linebackers uh, oh, yeah. will still be good. That's 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 kind of about it though. Right. Um. It'll take a really big jump in a lot of younger, unproven pieces in order to get to defense humming. I think to the way it was last year, and potentially more sp- stability other places would be two big things. I mean, Shenander's going to get calls. I can almost guarantee it. Nebraska's defense has been one of the better units in college football and has really proven its metal in these high-level, big-time, primetime games that, you know, call- the college football world takes notice of those things when you're, you know, your defensive unit does that. I don't know if there's a current job opening that I would say would really fit him or really interest him. Uh but it's definitely something that to look at. You know, in terms of that next quote-unquote guy, I still think that even if you bring in someone like a big proven name that's an OC, uh, it comes down to a matter of, I mean, you could still keep said person at OC and, and bring up shins to head coach. That's a guy that certainly is deserving. Should those chips fall in that certain order, he's a guy that the locker room clearly respects. Um, you know, the first time head coaching things always kind of interesting, but you know, it, it could be something that happens down the line and even no matter who Nebraska brings in, I don't know if it should be an indictment of whether or not said person can be quote unquote the guy down the stretch.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting in the next 3 weeks to see who comes in. And also, we have two football games left in the year still. Yeah. It feels That's like, like the season's feeling. over, doesn't it? It 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 does. Uh <laughs> Yeah. But it's not. It is not over, and uh, Wisconsin and Iowa are coming up down the stretch. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. We'll get in the next two to three weeks, I would imagine, probably at least by December, an idea of who those new names are. Um, Jason Peters, new defensive coordinator. It's happening. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I think, you know, as we wrap this discussion on the uh, that you know the the um, the announcement that Scott Frost will return in 2022. I think you know a lot of people characterize this as the safe move for Nebraska, as it, and I don't know if it is. I, th- I think it's a gamble because if this doesn't pay off, you know it's it's two wasted one wasted year additionally on top of everything else. And now if it does pay off, it'll be looked st- probably still as a gamble and and, and as a good one. But Only time will tell. Coming up next, Husker basketball, a surprise loss to open the year. We talk uh, Huskers next. All right, folks, welcome back here to Scarlet Fever Grand Henson alongside Landon Wirt. Husker basketball, tough loss to Western Illinois in the Leathernecks. The Necks, necks,
1: baby. Interesting. Go Necks.
0: Yeah, not good. Really bad, in fact. Husker women's hoops picked up a nice win over Maine on Tuesday in their opener. They play, as we record this, on Thursday tonight. Uh, So they'll get game two on the way. Nebraska basketball for men's hoops plays on Friday against Sam Houston State. So now that the table is set, let's look back on Tuesday night.
1: Oh, God, do we have to? Well, I mean, the thing that I didn't even realize is that Western Illinois was picked to finish last in its conference, which just adds to the levels of yikes. I don't really know where to start, but my my head is drawn here. It's old friends, man. It's rebounding and free throws. And perhaps the most worrying thing right now, at least for me, is that Nebraska has essentially had three different teams under Fred Hoiberg. And these issues still persist with its rebounding and free throws. And when Western Illinois out-rebounds you 57-37, to and when any team does that, you're not going to win many games. And the disappointing thing was that Nebraska's free throw shooting was pretty good up until the last three minutes when it mattered. So the familiarity, the old familiar friends that have been Nebraska's downfall under Hoiberg rearing its ugly heads at. Terrible times is the thing that I just can't shake when I think about the game. Like, yeah, well, you know, what credit to Western Illinois, first of all, they made some really big shots down the stretch, a couple of huge threes at the end of the game, and might have been deserving winners, but yeah, Uh, the free, the rebounding and the free throw shooting. And the other thing I will say quickly is. I don't know what Western Illinois did defensively. Fred Hoiberg said post game along with Derek Walker that they switched a lot, which made things difficult. But for Nebraska to look so un hoyberg y offensively, just six assists, pretty much all of their offense came on Tuesday night from isolation stuff and one on one play and tons of dribbling and not much passing. It just didn't even look like a a Nebraska basketball team under Hoiberg, which is what made the performance so disappointing, especially after how good the non-conference, not non-conference, how good the exhibition was. It sucked. (laughs) No, no way around it. That, that, that was a sucky performance, and it was unbecoming and very, very sobering for a lot of the preseason expectation that was placed on this team.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with, uh, you know, with the inopportune free throws, the inopportune mistakes, and inopportune times thing. 70, Seventy-five, seventy-four, the final, and you had two guys in the final two minutes, who had two free throws to basically put the game away, in Welchert and Verge, and they both went one for two at the line. I mean, Nebraska was at about eighty percent at the free throw line before those two stepped up there and they just didn't go in and I mean, you know, twenty three points at the free throw line, that's pretty solid generally. Yeah. Um, you know, twenty three of thirty one, that's seventy four percent shooting. Not terrible. Uh you would again like that near the eighty percent mark, but they missed the right the wrong free throws and then again, twenty three to seven out offensive rebound. That is just absolutely
1: brutal. WIU dominated in the second-chance points department, too, and it didn't come exactly down the stretch, but the, the Leathernecks did have some big buckets um, towards the end of the contest. That resulted in second-chance points, and the one that also sticks out in my head is the buzzer-beating shot to end the first half, which was a, like, fourth-chance offensive rebound from, ironically enough, Luka Barisic, who hit the game-winning three. Right. Very rare feat to see someone beat both buzzers and have the last bucket of the first half and also the last bucket of the second half.
0: And, I mean, if I, if I told you as a team, both teams shot 39% from the floor. Blech. Bad offense. One team made 17 more free throws. One team out-turnovered the other. And those, that team was all the same team. It was all Nebraska. Nebraska forced six more turnovers. Nebraska made 17 more free throws. And they still lost. I mean, WIU out-fouled Nebraska by seven. Uh, It just didn't have the energy. It was the Peru State kind of energy from the jump. I I felt like there were a lot of fans walking around Haymarket that night. I felt like there were a lot of fans uh, who, who were coming to this thing, and it didn't feel like there were as many fans as I think people anticipated for the opener.
1: Yeah, um... The crowd was nice. I don't know. It wasn't wasn't terrible. It was cool to see the student section back. I really missed their presence and the you know how loud they were. Uh, I would say that PBA was maybe seventy five percent full, sixty to seventy five. Um, but none of them went home happy. I mean, right. It it really I kind of got Riverside vibes in the first half, but Nebraska was kind of controlling things. Uh, But as we moved into the second half, and each time Nebraska got PBA rolling with either a big dunk or a big play, a big three-pointer, Western Illinois seemed to always have a response to quiet that crowd back down. And I think that that has a lot to do with it, too. Nebraska really never had that backing of PBA at full force for that big second-half run. I mean, Nebraska's biggest lead of the game was seven, and that was in the first half. So... You know, the fact that the Huskers were unable to break away from Western Illinois uh, was really concerning for me. And, uh, yeah. We're going to find out. Uh, the, the PBA crowd was nice. Good to have them back. But the fact that they weren't able to truly play with, with those that, that contingent at their back really just harmed them in the long run.
0: Two amazing dunks from Trey McGowan's. Can't yes. forget uh, mentioning those. And before we move on.
1: A baptism at the rim for the second yeah, no one. no kidding. That was Nebraska's last field goal,
0: too. Uh, gotta ask you about uh, good old Yaka Dunka. Uh, your thoughts. Your thoughts on Yaka Dunka. Um, I like it. Yeah, it's, it's a catchphrase. It's fun. I, it was I, organic. It, it was. It, it, felt, that, or, it that did that feel is organic.
1: Most, and that is the most important thing of some of these... Catch phrases. They come organically. Uh that McAllen's dunk though. Holy cow. That, no, I've seen a lot of good plays in person. I think that might top the list. That was just incredible. You don't want to jump with Trey. You really don't. That's that's one guy on Nebraska's team who, if he goes up for a dunk or something at the rim, might want to just take a business decision and get out of the way because eight times out of ten, no matter who it is, I mean, he's not scared to go up to the rim against anybody, no matter who it is, whether it's someone from Western Illinois or it's a guy in the Big Ten like a Hunter Dickinson or a Travion Williams, he's gonna go up. So uh, that's a guy you don't want to jump with. But I I do love the catchphrase. It it's awesome. I think it needs to be. There needs to be more of it.
0: Speaking of the Big Ten on Tuesday night, most of the conference fared well. Michigan State. Uh, dropped the uh, uh, State Farm Champions Classic game to Kansas by 13, so they are 0-1. But it was a pretty solid performance from them. I think KU is all. Really good. I was gonna
1: say KU is also really good. Yep. And I think if there's ever a year for Bill Self to get Kansas back to a Final Four and national championship, it's this team. They are very good and they are incredibly experienced. So, you know, don't hold that one against Sparty because KU's gonna might might KU probably going to be like the number 2 or number 3 overall seed in the NCAA tournament and for sure a one.
0: Only teams that really fared uh, unfortunately poorly uh, in the Big 10 were Ohio State against Akron. They ended up winning it 67-66, really well executed second action on a elevator screen on the final play of the game. That was very nicely done there. They escaped with the win against Akron at home and then Indiana challenged by Eastern Michigan. Uh, Hoosiers won it by 6, 68-62. Everybody else uh, won fairly comfortably. Uh, Iowa is the only team that got the triple digits. They scored 106 against Longwood tonight. uh, We will see some classic Big Ten action. Maryland and George Washington. So Maryland plays a little bit early. They're 17.5 point favorites. That's tonight's uh, only Big Ten game. Buffalo and Michigan was last night. Rutgers did escape from Lehigh, and then Penn State defeated Youngstown State. So Big Ten looks to be about as advertised, and challenges will persist. Nebraska on Friday has Sam Houston State, the Bearcats.
1: By the way, also on, on Saturday night, Texas-Gonzaga. That's going to be fun.
0: Also, Villanova and uh, UCLA on Friday, 10.30. Got to stay up. Or it's 10.30 Eastern, 9.30 here, I think. Yeah. Got to stay up late, but it's going to be good. Anyway, uh, the, the matchup at hand in PBA, 730 on Friday night, Nebraska and Sam Houston, Bearcats are 1-0 and took down the Latourno I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, Yellow Jackets, 97-54, uh, to 54, the most uh, red flag e stat that jumped off the page to me. 59 total boards, 27 <laughs> of them offensive. Um, so there's that. Six offensive rebounds surrendered to the Yellow Jackets. By Sam Houston so that's a red flag a couple of guys in double figures for that game uh, include DeMarcus Lampley uh, 20 points senior guard at six foot two that is the leading returning score for the Bearcats and Savion Flag, a transfer from Texas A&M they both scored 20 uh, in Tuesday night's game uh, against the Yellow Jackets so Bearcats coming to town Huskers got to find out how to rebound
1: Whoa, Sam Houston State's in the—they're
0: in the, in the Whack? Yes.
1: What the hell? When did that happen?
0: I, they just moved two years ago, and then they—they're uh, moving again. They're going to Conference USA. Huh. Yeah.
1: Well, I was googling because I—the Action Network did previews of conferences like Southland College Basketball Preview, right. but I saw no Sam Houston State, and I was like, what the hell? So there we go. That. Made me mad. Um, that's about all I know about Sam Houston State. They're they're a mid tier. Uh, they're going to be a mid tier, mid tier whack team. Uh, slated to finish around the middle of the conference. 180th. Uh, no, that's wrong. 197th. Per Ken Palm, is predicted to win, according to the site, by 12. Uh, they're quick, uh, 71st in tempo, which is something that would play right up into Nebraska's style, especially early. In terms of rebounding from last year's statistics, uh, not great, which is good. Um, you know, I don't know what or who LeTorno is. I am assuming they are probably either Division II, Division III, or NAIA school. Yeah, it's a lower level. Um, But in terms of rebounding percentage last year, Uh, 299th in offensive rebounding percentage and 210th in defensive-offensive rebounding percentage. So, defensive rebounding. So, not a great team on the glass, which, God, Nebraska needs to face one of those oh god what am I doing I'm looking at Nebraska again uh Sam Houston State last year uh still wasn't it wasn't good which is why the numbers were like eh. uh last season 118th in offensive rebounding percentage 29.3 percent and um really bad um defensive rebounding percentage uh 325th so there will be opportunity for Nebraska tomorrow to make a claim on the glass and they had media they availability today as we record this on Thursday, Trey McGowan said that they watched back each offensive rebound hmm. from Western Illinois last night and that they're really working on drilling into some of the younger guys on the team that rebounding, it matters and it will have an impact on winning games uh, so yeah, really curious to see how the, the two squads match up, really disappointed that Phil Forte, Oklahoma State legend is, is no longer on staff at yeah. Sam Houston State, it's a, it's, it's a bummer man, for sure uh, but in terms of guys to, to look out for, Savion Flag—that's a guy. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a good guard. Yes, um, he's going to be someone for sure. He's a, a transfer in. Also, Demarcus Lampy, Lampley. Sorry, they're going to have a, a pretty good backcourt. That's going to be something for Nebraska to monitor. But you know, that, that they could really use just a nice resounding, big, ish double-digit win in which they can control the game from the tip and you know just come out and put some of those concerns. Uh, that were that arose in that Western Illinois game to bed. Hopefully with the, the return of Flatman and Kobe Webster will help things too. I didn't really think they'd have that big of an impact, but here we are. So,
0: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, shooting will have to improve. Rebounding will have to improve. Uh, a lot of things will have to improve for Nebraska. We'll see how they bounce back after a surprising and gut-wrenching loss at home. Expectations for many fans were reevaluated after Tuesday. We'll see if some of those... Doubts and fears for some of the fan base will be put to rest on Friday. Coming up next, 1-2-NU will close out the program strong here on Scarlet Fever. welcome back to Scarlet Fever. It's time for one, two, and you as we wrap up episode number twelve here on a Thursday. Grant Hanson and Landon worked with you wherever you are listening. Thanks for making us part of uh, your day or your afternoon or your drive home from work or whatever. Uh, but it's time for one, two, and you. Tough week again. I think I was one and two last week. Uh, I'm not sure what you were, but struggles, <laughs> struggles may continue <laughs> uh, this week. Uh, a number of teams to pick, uh, no Nebraska, so the NU is our favorite NU pick of the week, just a random NU, and, uh, this week we'll go out of order, we'll start with the NU this week, Landon, your, uh, your random NU.
1: Yeah, woo, this is gonna be fun, um, (laughs) I am going with New Mexico State, NMSU, against Alabama, uh... Alabama is currently favored by 51, and Alabama is probably going to kill New Mexico State. But uh, there's a a trend, actually, that works in my favor here. Uh, Dating back to 1989, 50-point favorites in FBS versus FBS games are 3-14 against the spread. Alabama hasn't covered in either of its two games in this spot, including as a 55-point favorite over New Mexico State in 2019. And based on no knowledge of New Mexico State football at all, I am going to pick Alabama 55, New Mexico State 13, and New Mexico State covers that number uh, of 50 points. So, yeah, sure, why not? New Mexico State, let's do it.
0: Well, I mentioned at the top of the segment, it is a Thursday, and my NU plays tonight. Pitt and North Carolina at 6.30 on ESPN at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. Pitt is a a 6.5-point favorite. North Carolina- is coming off a pretty big win oh uh, over um, Wake Forest last week. Pitt just decimated Duke uh, a week ago, 54 to 29. And uh, this is a tough one because I think I was going to take North Carolina here, uh, plus six and a half against Pitts- Pittsburgh, but I'm I'm starting to waffle here. I'm starting to waffle. I don't know if North Carolina can put two in a row together. And uh, I think I'm going to go with the favorite, Pitt. And You know what? Just kidding. No, I've reconvinced myself. (laughs) North Carolina, I think, will cover the 6.5-point spread, so they will be a uh, a 6.5-point dog. I think they cover it. North Carolina 20, uh,
1: Pitt 23. It's going to be a good game to watch tonight. Uh, I hope there are more points than what you're projecting because those are two really fun offenses and two really bad defenses going up against each other. Um, But yeah, I like that
0: pick. All right, your first pick that is a non in you.
1: Yeah, I audibly gasped during yours because I just realized I went 0-3 this or last week, which is not good. But um, I have shifted my college football rooting interest to menace mode, as you, it's been established. I'm a big Oklahoma State fan. We're 10th right now, I think, in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, there's definitely a path. There's a path to. The, the beautiful, beautiful playoff right now. Uh, but it starts with, I'm praying on some teams' downfalls. Most notably, at the moment, Oregon and Notre Dame need to get up on out of here and lose. I want Oklahoma, when they're undefeated, to beat them in Stillwater. Uh, but for right now, I need to start preying on some downfalls, which includes getting Notre Dame at second loss and removing them from any sort of playoff consideration, which starts in a very, very tough game in what should be a really fun environment in uh, in Virginia on Saturday night at 6.30 on ABC. The Cavs are five-and-a-half-point home dogs, and I will take them. I think that the game is going to be decided by a field goal either way. I will lean the favorite winning 34-31, to 31, but I think it's going to be a game that is decided by a field goal field goal or less and for that reason i'm taking brennan armstrong and former oklahoma state tenant Jelani woods and the Cavs. wahoo wah let's cover it home
0: for me my first pick 230 on abc on saturday in columbus ohio ohio state ranked fourth and purdue ranked once again this time at 19 after a big win over michigan state did not see that one coming
1: purdue is in the college football playoff rankings They are. Awesome. They are ranked 19th. Tuesday night, I missed a lot of of CFP stuff because of basketball. But good, good, good. Purdue should be ranked. I can't believe the AP didn't rank them.
0: Ohio State is a 21-point favorite at home. I think this is way too much. Now, do I think Purdue's going to win? No, I don't. Uh, If they did, wow, good for them. Because that would be basically three top four wins in a season. Uh, And so that that'll be really fantastic for Purdue. Um, But 21 points is too much for Ohio State. They've struggled a little bit on offense. You saw them last week struggle against Nebraska. I I don't know if this is the dynamic team that we've seen in the past uh, out of the Buckeyes. And so I I, I got Purdue to cover minus 21 or plus 21.
1: I like it. Kind of a weird slate this weekend. It's very, very hard for me to simmer down and narrow pick number two on this but I'll go back to one I've been thinking about a little bit and that I might as well just do because why not Nevada San Diego State uh, at 932 good Mountain West teams uh, competing in that one on on the one hand you have San Diego State really stout defense On the other you've got Nevada in a really fun good quarterback in Carson Strong uh, over under set at 45 and a half the game's going to be at good old-fashioned Qualcomm and you know what? I'm just gonna continue underdog week and take Nevada and Carson Strong. They are three-point underdogs. Let's. I'm, I'm gonna say that this game is going to be decided 21 to 20 because I can. Uh, give me Nevada outright, uh, but I think they will cover as three-point underdogs. 21-20. I like Carson Strong. He's probably one of the better quarterbacks that are. going to be draft eligible. If you haven't watched him play yet, you should. Going to be kind of a standalone game at 9:30, unless you want to watch. Oregon probably barely beat Washington State and somehow get a top four ranking. Uh, yeah, let's go with go with go with Nevada. All right, I've got another dog for mine:
0: Ole Miss and Texas A&M. Texas A&M ranked 11th. Ole Miss is 15th. The Rebels are seven and two, and so are the Aggies. They meet at six o'clock on Saturday on ESPN in Oxford, and Ole Miss is a two and a half point dog at home. Look, if Ole Miss wins this game, they're likely going to finish the regular season at 10-2. and two. Vanderbilt and Mississippi State are the last two remaining games on the schedule. I think I, I, I gotta go with Ole Miss here. This is the rubber match for me. I think I picked them three times this year. I am 1-1 one one when picking Ole Miss. I think this time they get it done at home against Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M is a little bit overvalued there at 11, and Ole Miss makes them pay at home.
1: I feel like either bet or making picks for or against AM and Ole Miss have just been not very good for us at all yeah. this season. So now you have this battle of stoppable force versus immovable object. That'll be that'll be a good game. I'm really excited this Saturday just to sit back and watch a bunch of college football and a lot of good college basketball. It's going to be really great to have yes. that little refresh. Um, and my Oklahoma State Cowboys. If you're looking for something to do at seven o'clock on Fox, big primetime game. Uh, They're going to black out BPS, and the whole crowd's going to be wearing black, which will be cool. They're honoring Barry Sanders and unveiling a statue. OSU by a billion, although two touchdowns is a weird spread, so I didn't pick it. But (laughs) watch OSU Saturday. It's a playoff team. A lot of good games
0: on the college (laughs) football slate, so I go with a bunch of dogs. North Carolina as a a 6.5-point dog. I go with Purdue as a 21-point dog, and Ole Miss as a a 2.5-point home underdog for Landon he goes also with a bunch of dogs. New Mexico State is a 51-point dog <laughs> to Alabama. You
1: best believe I'm going to watch all of that game.
0: <laughs> yeah. Virginia has a 5.5-point dog at home. And then lastly but certainly not least, Nevada. Nevada. As a dog in Carson. So that will do it. For one 2 and you, and for episode 12 of Scarlet Fever, thank you so much. For joining us, we talked the coaching changes uh, for Scott Frost and this Nebraska football team, what it means for 2022, and the remaining two games for this year. We talked Nebraska basketball and their surprise opening season loss to Western Illinois and the Leathernecks, and we did 1-2 NU as well. So it's a full-packed show for you today, and we'll be back with you next week with another packed show as we preview Wisconsin and look at Nebraska and Creighton will be looking back on that game next Tuesday. So a couple of big games coming up for Nebraska men's hoops. For Landon Works, I'm Grant Hansen. This has been Scarlet Beaver.